Have you ever hit that sweet spot where everything's going right, doors open, and opportunities magically appear? That is what Golden Alignment is all about. Dr. Beth Golden loves to play in that golden space and teach others how to get there and stay there. Get ready to listen, share, and experience what Golden Alignment in life can look like for you. Now, here is the host of Golden Alignment, author, speaker, and coach, Dr. Beth Golden. Welcome to Golden Alignment. I'm so happy to be here with my wonderful guest, Libby James. Libby is 81 years young and has spent most of her life writing, running, and tea bag recycling. She uses that as an art medium. Libby has written four books and for 30 years has been a freelance feature writer and magazine editor. She currently writes for the North 40 News based in Fort Collins. And you can find her delightful weekly blogs at Ad Libs. Um, Libby literally grabs life and runs with it. As she says, I didn't walk until I was 18 months old and I didn't run a step until 1972. She began competing in 1976 at 40 years of age and continues to compete to this day. In 2012, Libby was inducted into the Colorado Running Hall of Fame. And in 2016, she was inducted into the USATF Master Hall of Fame. Libby exemplifies body, mind, and spirit through her writing, running, and recycled teabag art. Hello, Libby. How are you today? Hello there. That's more than enough about me. <laughs> <laughs> this whole show's about you. <laughs> Except you get to say it instead of me saying it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I met Libby just not even a week ago at a wonderful gathering where she and 47 other women were being honored for their contribution to our northern Colorado community. And we just hit it right off, and I'm so excited to have you as my guest today. So let's talk about, I mean, we have a span of history with you, and we've kind of determined how did you start writing? We're going to start on the writing part, and then we'll move into running and artwork. In the process of talking to you, it made me think back because there's a lot of years to remember. But I, in 1970, when my children were between the ages of 5 and 10, my husband mm-hmm. upped and quit his job. We bought a Volkswagen camper, and we toured in Europe for six months. And wow. during that, I wrote a series of articles called Europe with Four Children Every Day. It was kind of a play on that. There used to be a book out called Europe on $5 a Day. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. can't do that anymore. But, <clears throat> <laughs> and, of course, there were no computers, and, of course, there wasn't room for a typewriter in that Volkswagen camper with five other bodies. So I printed each story out on every other line and mailed them to the local newspaper, Um and then when I got home, I actually had to go down to the office and collect my $5 per article for doing it. But um, it inspired me to do more in the world of writing. And I've, I'd always be in, been interested in it. I majored in English and always wanted to do something with writing. So that kind of got me started. Well, wonderful. Tell us about your year in Africa. Was that 
after the kids were grown? Like, what part of life was that? And then um, what inspired you to write after that? Um, I was in Africa from the fall of '04 until May of '05, and at that mm-hmm. period, um, my youngest child, Jenny, and her husband, Chan, and their three children were living in Mozambique, and they invited me to come and spend that what turned out to be a school year with them. And I thought, oh, my gosh, any dude who's willing to have his mother-in-law there for that long must be really special. And we did. We had a great <laughs> But it was I was there long enough so that I didn't feel like a tourist. I substituted in the American school, and I did a blog called Come to Africa with Me. And every week I would just go somewhere or, you know, work out some sort of event um, and take some pictures and send it back. And it was it was geared to elementary school kids. So that those were fun okay. things that made me feel like I was part of the community. Well, I love the the juxtaposition of having to handwrite everything. And I'm assuming that in 2004 you had a computer in which to share yes. your your yes. offerings. Is that true? <laughs> Much easier. <laughs> the photos were a little tougher. You had to take them and. I don't even remember how I did that, put them on the computer, but, yeah, it worked. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But it was yes. while I was researching one of these uh, blog pieces that I ran into basically the story of the history of Mozambique. It's only been an independent country since 1975, so their history is very recent and very raw. And um, mm-hmm. there was an American, a young white American woman who played a major role in the history of Mozambique. And her story just haunted me for so many years that that was the basis for the book that I called White Shadow, which came out. Can you just, I was going to say, could you give a quick overview? I know you've said it talks about the history. Yeah, I I can, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but. um, No. You're going to tease us. Give us a tease. When this young woman was 17, she was between her junior year, junior and senior year in high school, she went to a church camp. It was 1951, and she heard a speaker from Africa. And it's probably an exaggeration to say she fell in love with a guy that at that moment, but for the rest of her life, for the rest of his life, um, that was it. She was 17. He was 31. Um, he knew that he was going to do something big for his country, but he was in this country finishing his undergraduate degree. And then he went on, got a master's and a Ph.D. He was the first Mozambican to get a Ph.D. And so their life story is just really one that I thought needed to be told. And he's quite well known um, in history books, but um, Janet, not so much, you know. And so I, I focused on her story, which included his story too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she's alive and well and still living in Mozambique and she's a Mozambican citizen. Wow. Isn't it interesting how our country of origin or our skin color, or whatever, says one thing but our soul has a different calling? You know, and it, her it soul is. was to fall Yeah, to fall in love with him, but also to fall in love with this country. That's pretty amazing. Yep. Yeah. She'd always been interested in Africa. Um, mm-hmm. I think 
it was the combination of those two things. Yeah. And uh, I was able to write the book because some, uh, a woman had compiled the letters that they wrote to each other. And she revised and I'm sure got rid of some because they wrote a total of 7,000 letters to each other. Oh, Oh my And so I had a wonderful source of information. Mm -hmm. And then I did do some research on my own, but that was the basis of my, um, and it was, you know, it was all true. And then I turned it into Mm -hmm. historical fiction so that I could flesh it out a bit more. But all the incidents in the book are true. Wow. So did you collaborate with her personally as you were writing this? I did some, and I Skyped with her daughter, who was in New York at the time. One of my huge regrets Mm -hmm. is that I've never met her in person, and that was my own fault because I just didn't do it when I was in Africa. She was kind of a big deal, and I was thinking, "Uh, I don't know if she'd talk to me, but... I would certainly but look do at it you now. Time. You're a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Libby is a big deal. Libby has lots has acquired um, many life experiences and uh, awards as you have traveled on this planet. And um, so you've taught school. So kind of give us a little background. You've taught school. You worked for low income single teens for 15ish years. Right. Um. I sort of got a teaching certificate by default because it wasn't there weren't many jobs in Boulder, Colorado for English majors fresh out of school with no experience doing anything. So I got a teaching mm-hmm. certificate, and then I, I taught sixth grade language arts. And then later on in life, and starting in 1990, um, I worked for a government-funded program in Cheyenne, Wyoming, that helped low-income single teen mothers to finish up their education. Mostly that was a GED. And um, we did an intensive life skills program and got them job ready and then actually placed them in a work experience. And I loved that. I loved doing that. But after 15 years, I thought, you know, there's a lot of other things I want to do, so I'm going to retire. So I was 70 when I retired. It was a hard decision. I loved that job. Yeah, Yeah, because it's fulfilling and you can, this may sound funny to equate the two, but when you garden, you can see the um, fruits of your labor labor right away. And I would imagine also with these young ladies, you're able to see, you know, them grow and change and develop skills so that they can, you know. There were some great success stories and some other ones that were depressing. You know, it was all part of the ball game, yeah. But uh, there were some amazing young women. Yep. Well, I laugh. That's probably true of any single person or family. (laughs) We have our highs and lows in our moments, and (laughs) how we navigate all of those is uh, always an interesting perspective. Now, you do a lot of writing, and I know that we hit it off right away. Do you find that that's one of your gifts? that you're just able to look someone in the eye and start chatting and finding out interesting information. That's why I keep my job at the North 40 News because it's just, it's a license to be nosy. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> um, I, I really do enjoy interviewing people and learning their stories. People are just amazing. Human beings are absolutely incredible. And, yeah, I... 
sometimes do some hard news stories, and that's okay. But when hard mm-hmm. news that gets into a lot of conflict and that kind of stuff is not my favorite. My favorite is features right. on people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, we are going to go into our first commercial break. And on the other side, we're going to talk about maybe some of those people that you've been able to feature in the newspaper. So during the break, think of maybe some highlights. And if it's all right to share people's names, we'll have to kind of keep that in our thought process also. So Yeah, well, I'll we yeah, will think about it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'll do that. Okay, we'll return on the other side of this commercial break. Do you want to create change in your life based on your values? Do you want to love this experience we call life because you are living in alignment with your soul's calling? Do you want to expand your relationship with abundance and move from surviving to thriving? By tuning into Inspired Choices Radio Show, Golden Alignment with Dr. Beth Golden, you'll receive tools and inspiration you can use to do just that. You'll be amazed by your golden health, wealth, love and magical opportunities listen for the golden alignment radio show every wednesday at 2 p.m eastern standard time 1 p.m central 12 p.m mountain and 11 a.m pacific on inspiredchoicesnetwork.com welcome back to the inspired choices radio show golden alignment with dr beth golden to participate in this program Please call US 815 880 8255, Canada 613 800 8736, or Skype us at Inspired Choices Network. You may also choose to comment by email by going to www.drbethgolden.com. Now back to Golden Alignment with Dr. Beth Golden. Welcome back. I am Dr. Beth Golden, and this is the Golden Alignment Radio Show. I have a great program called Tapping Into Your Golden Alignment with Self-Love. I have been in this part of my business for 11 years and have been a part of many long-term business coaching programs. And I found my own personal growth was exponential when I turn to self-mastery and self-love. So the, the ultimate goal of my program is to reignite your clarity, confidence, your passion in what you're already doing, and to really be grounded in your purpose in that as well. Today my guest is Libby James, and Libby is a firecracker. She's 81 years young and has had many wonderful experiences. And um, before the break, we were talking about her writing for the North Fork News or North Forty North Forty North Forty out in the boonies North North Forty News and she gets to highlight different individuals. So over the break, were you thinking of some you might be able to share with us? Yeah, well, I was thinking that maybe some of the more recent ones would be of interest. Um, <clears throat> there is a company an organization, I should say, in Fort Collins called No Barriers. I had never mm-hmm. heard of it. I was just by chance sitting at the same table with a woman, and I had no idea who she was, and so we introduced ourselves to each other, kind of like you and I did. And so I said, so what do you do? And she said, well, I work for No Barriers. So 
I said, oh, what's that? And then she mm-hmm. went on and tell me that it's a national organization, that she had quit her job as assistant principal of an elementary school to go to work for this organization. And then last week I was lucky enough to hear Eric, and I can hardly pronounce his last name, but it's like something like Wine and Mayer, who is the first blind person to summit Mount Everest. He not oh, only yes, did yeah. all the other, uh, the highest peaks on all seven continents, and most recently he kayaked 277 miles down the Colorado River. Um, he started No Barriers um, okay. to help kids with who were blind or had other disabilities to give them experiences and let them reach out beyond themselves. And I interviewed Andrea, who was a person I met at breakfast, um, about mm-hmm. this organization, and I couldn't believe it was in Fort Collins. It, they've got 35 or 40 people working for them. They have really nice office space, and they take kids all over the world. Um, they work with wounded veterans. Um, it was just, mm-hmm. and, and they've just been hidden away in Fort Collins, which just absolutely blew me away. Yeah. So that was fun, and well, um, it was particularly interesting to hear Eric speak because I knew all about him because of the interview I'd had with Andrea, who works for the organization. So that mm-hmm. was one thing. So you got you got the full story, you know, like interviewing her, then seeing him. And I know, isn't it amazing that we often don't know what's right in our backyard and we get Absolutely. busy doing our things? and how expansive it can be when it's like you just say hey to somebody, you know, and you find out this whole wonderful universe that they are in. His presentation was amazing. He obviously had no notes because he can't see. And there was Mm -hmm. a lot of visuals of his climbing mountains and going down the river. And he coordinated his words with those visuals in a way that I don't know how he did it. It was absolutely, I mean, he must have given it a lot of times, but it was totally impressive to see. And he was funny, and he was casual, and um, we all learned a lot. Yeah, it was one of the um, the Fort Collins uh, Public Library and uh, Colorado State University have combined to do a series of bringing authors to town, which is really a, a wonderful thing in the community. So he was one of those. Yeah. Well, that was great. Well, great. I, yeah. Um, one of the other things that Libby has developed or had developed a passion for is running and didn't really begin that until your 40s. So is that, again, something where your kids were growing and you had more freedom to do it? I, I laugh because I used to run a lot. Now I think about it. It just makes <laughs> me think of pain. <laughs> Yes, there there can be, especially for long distances. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm just trying to think. Well, in 1976, we had an exchange student from the U.K., and he was a runner. And I probably, Mm -hmm. I was running this one mile every morning for about five years, whether I needed to or not. And I probably started running more miles because of him. And then I turned 40, and that's a big break in the running world. You know, it's an open division, 40 and, or 39 and below. Once you're 40, you're in the Masters. 
so you're competing in a different kind of division. And in 1976, there were not too many women 40 and over running. And so I went down to City Park, a few blocks from my house, and I ran a 10K. And I did pretty well, and I thought, whoa, this is fun. And, of course, it was Mm -hmm. the time of a big running boom in the U.S., and marathons were big talk all over the place, particularly Boston, you know. And so I thought, 26 miles? Nobody can run 26 miles. I think I'll try it. (laughs) And so (laughs) if I can do that. So I did the Denver Marathon two years later in 1978. And then in 1980, Mm -hmm. I went to Boston, and that was a very famous year in Boston because the little cheater girl, Rosie Ruiz, who hopped on the subway and then hopped off. Remember that? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. And it was very sad for the woman who won it because... They they didn't figure it out until the next day. They had their suspicions, but they couldn't really prove it until the next day. So they staged a little award ceremony for her <laughs> the next day. But yeah, that was too bad. So, but when well, I interesting, you, you talk about year, you know I, not many women. Go yeah, ahead. there were there were that women that year. There were around five thousand runners, and there were. Fewer than 500 of them were women. That was in 1980. So mm-hmm. things have changed a lot. Most, most well, I remember in the Olympics have more women than men. Yeah. I remember in the Olympics that they didn't think women could run long distances, so they didn't have or didn't want to have um, a women's field for marathon running. And I just think it's great how it's like, well, we knew all along we could do it. <laughs> It was a male-run organization who thought we were too frail for such things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Catherine Switzer ran it in in 1967, uh, Boston, when when women were not allowed, and she got into big trouble for that. But most of her life from that time on was promoting women's running, and she was a huge force in getting the women's Olympic marathon, which Joan Benoit won in 1984. It was cool that American an American won it. Wow. That was, wow. Yeah. It's and you're still running. So you're still <laughs> running 41 years later, is that true? I am still running, sort of, yes. <laughs> I actually <laughs> just, <laughs> I just did a race in um, Virginia Beach the middle of March, and was hilarious. First of all, there was nobody else in my age group, no other women in my age group. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were two men in my age group, and I beat both of them, which was pretty fun. And I also, <laughs> I got the American record by 10 minutes. I mean, you you know, this just doesn't happen until you get really old. But... <laughs> And not many people would be doing it, and and I think it's great because it, I it, I'm going to sound like a commercial, but it it builds strong bones and it keeps your heart going and it, you know keeps toxins. Plus, Libby is a very she has a perfect runner's body. She's very slight, so you know I think that helps. But how many people in their 80s are out competing? Very few. Yeah, there aren't many. There are some though. 
So do you have oh. a crown in your closet? <laughs> I call the, cl- the closet queen. I put my crown on. I did it again. <laughs> I guess the, the most really fun thing about this, they have something called an age-graded score where they take your age and your time and they put it into some sort of mathematical formula and I got the age, the mm-hmm. highest age-graded score in the whole race, men and women. And that came with a wow. check that paid my whole trip. that there was money in the race or money to be won? I did, because I've gotten a couple wow. out of those graded things. Yeah, I did, to be honest. Well, well that's that pretty was cool to pay for your whole done. trip. I'd, I'd never, yeah, it was really fun. Great fun. Well, that is fantastic. Now, you are writing, you're in the process of writing a book about running. So I'm going to let you take the floor and share about your book. Well, that's very nice of you. Um, (laughs) It's my job. (laughs) I haven't quite settled on the title. First, I thought it was going to be, are you still running, question mark, because that's the first thing people say to me. Everybody says it to me. And, And at times I have thought to myself, you know what I want to answer? I want to say, are you still brushing your teeth? Which is really a snotty answer. <laughs> but it just is kind of part of my life. Anyway, so I'm going to call it, are you still running? Or maybe I'm going to call it just still running. I don't know. I haven't decided. Mm-hmm. But it grew out of a series of monthly articles that I did for over three years for the local newspaper. So I had, you know, 50-some articles on all aspects of running, people I'd met, places I'd been, funny things that happened, disasters, injuries, all that. And so I've been working on updating those, revising them, adding to them, um, taking some things from my blogs and putting it together in some kind of form that I'm hoping will be a good read for people who run and for people who don't run but want to find out a little bit more about it. So that's what I'm up to. And, of course, it isn't quite as easy as I thought, but it's fun. Yeah. So is it more informational? Do you, like, give history, your experiences? It's kind of the whole – it's all in the organization when you write a book, so. Well, it is. It is. And that's uh, difficult. I organize it by um, sections like people and places and reflections and accessories and I don't know. And and then I went back and I thought, no, I want this to be chronological. So I am in the process of trying to figure out how it's going to get organized. It's probably going to be chronological. And it isn't mm-hmm. all about me. It's about the people I've met, the amazing people I've met who've run and done good things for the running community and, yeah, all that. And I've included walking. I did a couple of walking tours in the U.K., and I've included that and a little um, every winter we do a a 10th Mountain Division hut adventure in the wilderness. It's on snowshoes or cross-country skis, so I included that. So I've given myself a lot of flexibility. (laughs) Well, that is perfect. We are going to go into our second commercial break, and I am speaking with Libby James, who is a writer, and a runner and an artist and 
on the other side of this break, I want to hear a little bit about your walking tours and if people are interested in those things, how they can get involved. And we'll kind of play there and then maybe shift in some, into some of your art and how you got involved with that. Okay? Sure. All righty. We'll see you all on the other side of this commercial break. Do you want to create change in your life based on your values? Do you want to love this experience we call life because you are living in alignment with your soul's calling? Do you want to expand your relationship with abundance and move from surviving to thriving? By tuning into Inspired Choices Radio Show, Golden Alignment with Dr. Beth Golden, you'll receive tools and inspiration you can use to do just that. You'll be amazed by your golden health, wealth, love, and magical opportunities. Listen for the Golden Alignment Radio Show every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central, 12 p.m. Mountain, and 11 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Welcome back to the Inspired Choices Radio Show, Golden Alignment, with Dr. Beth Golden. To participate in this program, please call U.S. 815-880-8255, Canada 613-800-8736, or Skype us at Inspired Choices Network. You may also choose to comment by email by going to www.drbethgolden.com. Now back to Golden Alignment with Dr. Beth Golden. Welcome back to Golden Alignment with myself, Beth Golden, and my guest, Libby James. Libby James has been a longtime resident of Northern Colorado, and she is an author, a runner, and an artist. And in our previous section, we were chatting about her running history and um, the process of writing her book. And in one of the um, comments, Libby, they said, well, I think it would be a great title. Are you still brushing your teeth? <laughs> so but everybody keeps asking Libby, are you still running? And she just wants to be facetious, like, well, of course I am. Are you still brushing your teeth? <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm that kind of – some sarcasm I really can relate to. So. <laughs> Now, you had mentioned about doing walking tours in the U.K., so tell us what that's all about. You know, it, it, that's been a wonderful experience. I've done it twice in 2015 and 2017, and there is a um, – it's called the Coast to Coast Pass, and it goes from west to east in northern England. It goes through Yorkshire, through the Yorkshire Dales. It's a total of mm -hmm. about 200 miles. Um it's maybe 20, 25 miles north of the border with Scotland, so it's way up there. And okay. my older daughter had wanted to do this for years, and she found a company called Northwest Walks that will carry your gear and arrange your uh, B&Bs. And you never see them, but um, so if anyone's interested in doing it, they should check out Northwest Walks. They're great people, um, and they make it... It's much more fun if you don't have to carry a tent and a sleeping bag and whatever else on your back, although people do do it that way. So the first year we did about 85 miles in six days, and um, mm -hmm. there were a group of seven of us, a very congenial group. Nobody whined about their blisters or had a problem mm -hmm. that way. The food was absolutely wonderful. 
the terrain was much more challenging than we thought. Um, You know, your vision of a path in Great Britain is some little grassy footpath. Well, this was up over the mountain and down again, and they, they do not do switchbacks. They do steps or straight up. And somebody told me that this was a training ground for the people who climbed in the Himalayas, and I thought, yeah, right, in England? Well, I could see what it was. So it was pretty challenging. Um, We had a little book that told us where to go, but some of us were a lot better than others at reading that little book. I was one of the really bad ones, but we thank goodness we had a couple (laughs) of good pathfinders, but it wasn't easy to always find your way. And there were incidents like you'd come across field and it said um, alternate route bull in field so you know there were (laughs) (laughs) yes you don't want to go through that field (laughs) there were sheep everywhere stone walls crumbling stone walls old abbeys I mean it was it was a real close-up look at the British countryside which was just great and I think I mentioned the exchange student that we had in 1976. We met him mm-hmm. on the trip, and he hiked with us. He and his wife hiked with us for a day. He's, he was 17 when he was here. He's 57 now. 58 now. Wow. So, yeah. So that was nice. So you had a reunion. Now, so it was about 10, 12 miles a day, more than that. Um there were some 10-mile days. I think the longest one, on the second half, we did 108 miles in eight days. And we did have one 24-mile wow. day. That, that was pretty long. Yeah, there were some, yeah, 10 but, would be the, the shortest day. There were, you know, 13, 15 in there somewhere, yeah. And so would you start out early, and would that take all day, or would you just, like, kind of come in early evening and be able to enjoy the evening? Yeah, you you would finish usually finish mid afternoon. Some days a little later, um, but you had mm-hmm. to enjoy one of those English breakfasts before you left. So we didn't always leave as early. Some of us would have enjoyed leaving a little earlier than we did. But by between eight mm-hmm. and eight thirty, we left. Yeah, and at the B and B's will pack you a lunch, which is just mm-hmm. great. And if you get in at three or four, then you're on your own for dinner. But there were always lots of choices. That's a nice thing about this route. There's a lot of little villages, um, and there are enough people doing the route that, you know, B&Bs and restaurants have sprung up to uh, accommodate the tourists. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. Is this it's a primarily a summer activity? Yeah. And there's always, you yeah. know, the rain issue, which we went in late June both years, mid-June both years. Mm-hmm. Um, this last time we had maybe one hour of rain. We were so lucky. But I have heard of people that, you know, August is the very best time to go. It's a little more expensive in August. And June is the next mm-hmm. best, apparently. Okay. And there are lots of companies doing this. And there are lots of different walks in England. And then, of course, there's the famous one in Spain that so many people have done. That's really long, that, but uh, you can do part of it. So you don't have to do the whole thing. Is the Spain one, it's like the, it's like a pilgrimage walk, is that correct? It is, yeah. And it's. I think the whole thing is like 500 miles. It's really long. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Now, I have a question here in the chat room 
Um, what is your key to your stamina for all these adventures? Well, you know, I trained some. Even though I was running, I trained some for this walk. I did some 10-mile walks, some 12-mile walks around home, so I didn't just go totally unprepared. <clears throat> I think I think it's consistency. I don't think it's doing a lot of really strenuous stuff, but it's doing it every day is the secret, mm-hmm. I think. Well, and I so, think it, I did a... Um, MS-150 walk, which was, the first day was 24 miles. It was a lot of miles in two and a half days, put it that way. Is that the one that was to Boulder? Or is that, no, that's different. Uh, I think they have them all over now. It's a Susan G. Komen. um, It's a fundraiser for breast cancer research. Uh And you you have a a tent camp, and you are fed breakfast. Uh, lunch and dinner at various, you know, big tents, and walk from point A to point B. Of course, the it's much easier mapped out, and they have people along the way. And I found in my training, it's important to train just to get your feet accustomed to it, and your feet okay. accustomed to sh- your shoes. And right. where are you going to get blisters? And where are you going to be achy and painy? Because if you don't walk those distances. You could be very surprised. Exactly. It's so true. It looks easy. And yeah. Oh, I remember my friend and I said, oh, well, this isn't going to be hard. We'll, we'll get up and go for a little run in the morning before we start walking. Well, right. <laughs> that did not yeah. happen. No. No. Yeah. Your body feels different. Um, what about, I'm going to shift gears here. How did you get interested in recycling tea bags and um, (laughs) Libby does art with recycled tea bags so do you use them to stain the card share with us how that all came into your life well I've always been interested in recycling before it was popular my kids used to call me the original recycler and so it appealed to me because of that but Specifically, how I got started was I got a beautiful card from a friend of mine that had been created by some women in a village in South Africa. And it said on it, once filled with tea, now filled with love. And it was part of a tea bag with a design on it. And I put it on my mantle and I looked at it for a month or so and I thought, I wonder if I could do that. So I just started playing around with it. And it really suited me because I could take the tea leaves out and put them in my compost pile and... Mm-hmm. The raw materials for what I was doing were only the blank card, right? That's that was and, and some gel pens and some glue, and that was it. So I started kind of following the stains that that the tea makes on the card, and every time I sit down to do one, I have no idea how it's going to turn out. And my philosophy is you make it work. Even if it looks terrible at one point, you just keep at it until it doesn't look quite so terrible, and then you put it in mm-hmm. your in your selection of cards, and I say to myself, well, there need to be a few dogs in here because people are making choices. <laughs> so I don't, I don't yeah. waste any of. Yeah. So. Uh, so do you do you get the tea bags wet? You? Well, oh, then uh, so I empty out. You know, I dry out the tea bag first, <clears throat> and then okay. I iron it so that it's smooth, and then I glue it to the card. You can do okay. the design before you 
glue it if you want to, but I like to glue it onto the card, put a little gold stuff around the edge and put a border around it, and then I just do a design. And I do note cards, and I also do bookmarks, which I do the same way, but then I just get them laminated. And it's just been fun. It's it's uh, it's not terribly lucrative, but it's fun. So do you and go to craft shows, or just something that people know that you do, so they come to you to purchase them? You know, my major outlet is a, a a shop in Old Town, Fort Collins, called Trimble Court Artisans, and it's a co-op. And so we mm-hmm. there's 50 artists, and we all work like four to six hours a month. So it's interesting to get to know there's some very very talented people in that group um that's where that's my major outlet and then um i do sell them out of my house and sometimes i have a little label on the back so people can order them and they do that sometimes and then there's a little coffee shop in wellington that carries them and then i have a small grocery store a block from my house and they carry them (laughs) so that's where they are not too many places what Well, I love this because you took something that is a creative outlet and a passion, and so you just, I'm doing this for people who are listening, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. Did you just walk in and say, hello, and this is what I do, would you mind carrying them in your store? I did that. I had no idea that Trimble Court was a co-op, so I walked in there, and it so happened that the manager was working that day. And she said, well, we mm-hmm. jury four times a year. And I thought, oh, yeah, right. Nobody's going to jury these things. And, well, they took them. I think because not too many people are making cards from tea bags. And I've been at Trimble Court for probably this is the eighth or ninth year. Wow. And I also I have a little art show every December. It's called Just in Time with several other the artists. A, um, a potter and a jeweler and a woodworker from Trimble Court, and we just take a couple days—the first week in December for that first weekend—and mm-hmm. we just invite people to come and look at our wares. And yeah, done that for and buy them just in time for Christmas. Yeah, and we have a yeah. we have a loyal following. Same people come every year. <laughs> we sell the same stuff well, every have year. To get on your list. Well, I know where that Trimble Court is because I uh, I stumbled into that place um, when I was sightseeing when my kids were visiting. So it is it is really great. If you're ever in northern Colorado, it's an old town. Old town's just great to wander around and look at the facades of the buildings, and there's lots of great history in this part of the country. Well, we are going to go into our third commercial break. And um, you are listening to Golden Alignment with myself, Beth Golden. And when we return, maybe we'll just do a little philosophizing on life and the course that you've taken and, and the joy of doing unexpected things and where it's led you. So we will return after this commercial break. Do you want to create change in your life based on your values? Do you want to love this experience we call life because you are living in alignment with your soul's calling? Do you want to expand your relationship with abundance and move from surviving to thriving? By tuning into Inspired Choices Radio Show, Golden Alignment with Dr. Beth Golden, you'll receive tools and inspiration you can use to do just that. You'll be amazed by your golden health, wealth, love, and magical opportunities. 
Listen for the Golden Alignment Radio Show every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central, 12 p.m. Mountain, and 11 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Welcome back to the Inspired Choices Radio Show, Golden Alignment, with Dr. Beth Golden. To participate in this program, please call U.S. 815-880-8255, Canada 613-800-8736, or Skype us at Inspired Choices Network. You may also choose to comment by email by going to www.drbethgolden.com. Now back to Golden Alignment with Dr. Beth Golden. Welcome back to Golden Alignment with myself, Beth Golden, and my guest today, Libby James. I have just met Libby, and I just love your sense of adventure and the sparkle in your eye, and at least you made me feel right at home when we spoke, so I'm assuming you probably um, have that graciousness with others. Um, I want to know, do you know what you want to do for your next adventure? Do you have something in mind or something that you're planning? Um, I'm kind of interested in Kilimanjaro, Mount Kilimanjaro. I don't know if that will ever happen, but uh, that's a possibility. Uh, I've also never been to South America, and I I think Ah. I'd like to go so when you go to these, go ahead. When you go to these places, do you well Mount Kilimanjaro is obviously beautiful, right. and would you you know plan on doing that as a hike as well? Like, do you when you go to these places, are you planning some physical activity around it since that you know, seems to be your so, nature? For so many years, my kids were in faraway places that usually my trips revolved around visiting them and. I would, mm-hmm. well, I went to Florida one time to do the Disney half marathon. My son lives in Orlando and works for Disney, so that was that was a given, you know. But usually mm-hmm. they revolve around going to see my kids. But now three of my four kids are local, so I might not be <laughs> on the road as much. Well, we had our pre-show chat and we were laughing because now that all the kids are here, you're on the road, but in a different way because <laughs> they're all they're all wanting Libby and Grandma to come and participate in their activities, which is um, wonderful. I had someone here say, "No using kids as an excuse." So, what kind of prep would you do for Kilimanjaro? <laughs> oh, that's I don't funny. Know. I think it's not a difficult climb, but I think the altitude is an issue for a lot of people because it's high. That's what I've heard. I don't really know a whole lot about it. But in this show that I told you about, this No Barriers guy showed this mm-hmm. uh, incredible young man, extremely strong-looking in his face, but he had four stumps instead of four limbs, and he did Kilimanjaro. Wow. I mean, it was it was a huge journey to get. He he got fitted with carbon fiber. Stumps, I guess you say what you call them, but he made it to the top of Kilimanjaro. And I thought, oh, my wow. goodness, just amazing. 
Um, wow. This, this Eric, the speaker, classifies people into three different groups. Quitters, mm-hmm. campers, mm-hmm. and climbers. And he says, take your pick. Well, we know what quitters are. And so what would he consider campers? Just like a recreational type of well, mindset? Well, I think, I, and I don't think it's all physical camping okay. or climbing that he was talking about. I think he was talking about people who just kind of go along and kind of are okay with the status quo, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's other people who maybe want a little more out of life or want to contribute. Yep. And this guy has everything he does these days is in one way or another contributing to the welfare of other people with disabilities, and I think that's what keeps him going. So that was just a well, good I lesson. Love the, I love the sound of that, contributing. My life is contributing to the welfare of others. Yeah. I like that. I'm writing that down. Well, you've done a lot of that yourself. I mean, you're sharing your no, adventures. I've done a whole but... lot of that directly, but I like to think that some of the things, some of the stories I've written have made some sort of contribution that way. I'd like to think it. But I don't know. Now, you've written three children's books. So what inspired you to write kids' books? And then did you consign someone to do the artwork for those books? The first one I did was a picture book, and I um, did it in conjunction with a good friend, Anne Ryan. And it was they're, they're all based on, actually all on things my grandkids have done. One, my oldest grandson, when he was in about the second grade, he made a dozen muffins from one of those little mixes every morning. And he served muffins to his two sisters and to himself, and he did that <laughs> several times a week all year. And I thought, oh, muffins. And so the, fir- the first... Uh, book, and it's a picture book for young kids, revolves around um, somebody who moves frequently, a child who moves frequently, and um, has a hard time settling into a new house, a new school, all that. And when his father says, we got to move again, he comes up with a solution so they can stay where they are, and it involves muffins. The other two books... Oh, <laughs> that sounds great. The other two books are, one has a a main character who's um, a middle school boy who hates exercise, and his parents make him do something, so he says, okay, I'll do cross country because I don't have to touch any people or anything. And then his grandmother sees a marathon going by, and she says, I want to know how to do that. You're on the cross country team. You teach me. You teach me how to do a marathon. So it's the story of their training. And the other one is a couch potato girl with four athletic siblings whose life changes when she learns to play Frisbee. It's called Frisbee Dreams. So those are two middle school, late elementary or early middle school age. And the other one is for much younger kids. I love you. I love your mind. It's always going. And I think it's so great. It's like, oh, you know. So did you get, like, did you get downloads, like inspirational downloads, and go, oh, I'll write a book about that? How did you get your inspiration to write those kids' books? Well, I think I think it was, um, I actually think it was observing my own grandkids in all three of those cases, and I didn't even realize that at the time. And I look back, 
and well, the two middle grade ones are are about kids that are unathletic in an athletic environment that have to make some changes in their lives or do make some mm-hmm. changes. Um, so that's a very relatable yeah, I, topic. Yeah, yeah, I think I don't know. But anyway, well, that's because you're so moving centered. Well, guess what? At the end of the show, always moves very quickly. We're going to go into our fourth and final commercial break. Um, you are listening to Golden Alignment with myself, Beth Golden, and my delightful guest, Libby James. We will be back on the other side of this commercial break. Do you want to create change in your life based on your values? Do you want to love this experience we call life because you are living in alignment with your soul's calling? Do you want to expand your relationship with abundance and move from surviving to thriving? By tuning into Inspired Choices radio show, Golden Alignment with Dr. Beth Golden, you'll receive tools and inspiration you can use to do just that. You'll be amazed by your golden health, wealth, love, and magical opportunities. Listen for the Golden Alignment radio show every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central, 12 p.m. Mountain, and 11 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Thank you for choosing to listen to Golden Alignment. Dr. Beth Golden will return next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central, 12 p.m. Mountain, and 11 a.m. Pacific on InspireChoicesNetwork.com. We hope you'll join us. Until then, enjoy playing in that golden space where health, wealth, love, and magical opportunities appear in Golden Alignment for you. Thank you for choosing to listen to Golden Alliance.